That is the sound of me taking a delicious drink. Oh, yes, it was. If the sound quality on that looks sounded really good, it's because we're both talking into the same microphone. We are together. Oh, my gosh. And guess what? I have a sippy cup. There's no ice in my drink, so you it You can't is. hear it. I apologize for not posting photos of my sippy cup yet. I just didn't have any good photos. So maybe Adam will maybe take I'm one gonna and send it to me. Maybe I'm going to have to do it. I'm the one who always has to do the everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. I edit. <laughs> <laughs> I take pictures of the sippy cup. I do the rest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she does everything else. She records <laughs> This is actually Tara right now. She just changes her voice. What? Oh my god, I'm making a joke like you are the voice of both of us. Oh. And when it's Adam talking, it's just Tara changing her voice. I would really like to be able to do an Adam voice. But you know that's not true because we always talk over one another. And Tara doesn't have two sets of vocal cords. That would be useful. (laughs) Now I'm trying to think of another instance where having two sets of vocal cords would be interesting and useful. I could talk to myself and people wouldn't think it's as weird. They hurt me. They just think I was talking to someone else. Oh, see, I talk to myself, but I don't let it out. It's just my brain overthinking <laughs> and telling me lies about my life. Brains are the worst. Uh-oh, someone's trying to come in. That's one the of the cats trying to get in. Oh, it's we're work. we're at Tara's today. We're in Tara's bedroom, naked, Ooh. together on her bed. <laughs> Neither of us are on the bed. <laughs> Tara drinking her martini <laughs> with ice in it. It's up too. It's really weird. It's not a martini. <laughs> no, we actually have like a little like rickety setup on a TV tray. We're fucking great. That's right. I had to throw my book on the bed because y'all know that I don't read the book when I'm doing this. <laughs> or before he does this. Yes. I just telepathically transmit the information from the book into my brain. It's very impressive. Uh, my brain is like the Library of Congress. We're the basic snitches. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Library of Congress. And that's the bitch with two vocal cords. And today we're talking about chapter 17, cat, rat, and dog. That's why we're recording at Natalie's and Tara's today, because one of us is rat, one of us is cat, and one of us is dog. Guess who's who? I'm dog because I'm the biggest bitch. <laughs> Tara is cat because she's the biggest pussy. And Natalie's rat because, I mean, Natalie. Chapter 16, the loser is everyone who came into Hagrid's hut who was not Dumbledore. Oh, multiple. So it's the three guys that we don't care about. The trio of strange men. The trio of strange men. They all losers, including the guy that I was giving the benefit of the doubt to because... Mustache wizard? Yeah, mustache wizard. Yeah, so they they all losing because... They be killing the hoes. Yes, and so also there are three winners. I'm giving the win to the trio for going down to check on Hagrid. Oh, that's very nice. I like I like that they're all doing that and all their intentions are really sweet. I think that they would have stayed to be with him despite how scared they were. I think were they were if too. he hadn't been like fucking get out of get here. Get out of my house in Jesus' name I pray. <laughs> so, if you can believe in Jesus, you can stay here. If not, get the hell out of the house. That's God Warrior again. Y'all should know that by now because a couple episodes ago I told you to Google it. So if you don't know what that means, you failed and you didn't do your homework. F. Speaking of homework, I wrote... Good transition. That's a good transition. We did it. We finally did it. Yeah. Look, it was me. See? It was you too. Wow. Surprise. I wrote the longest summary of my career as... A writer? This bitch on Basic Snitches. Wow. This is pretty long. (laughs) 
Hey, guess what? The next chapter was nine pages, but I still do a pretty meaty one, so. You can't beat me, bitch, is what I'm trying to say. I, I have, that is never my intention, because I know I will never do it. Oh, but finally, the truth is said. She said this before, it's fine. This is my longest one yet. That's what she also said about her dick. She grows a new one every week. <laughs> chapter 17, Cat, Rat, and Dog. The trio stand in shock for a moment after Buck Beak is executed, in quotes. She didn't write quotes, but I'm putting quotes there. As they head back towards the castle, Scabbers, that little piece of shit, struggles to get out of Ron's grasp and run away. Well, that's because Crookshanks has appeared because he's basically allowed free reign of Hogwarts and the grounds. Seriously, do the other children let their pets wander like this? Scabbers gets free after biting Ron. Pretty rude, you fucking rat. Ron runs after him, Harry and Hermione following as they take off the invisibility cloak. Ron manages to catch Scabbers, but as they start to put the cloak back on, a giant dog jumps on top of Harry and goes for Ron, dragging him away from his friends. Harry and Hermione try to get to Ron, but realize too late that their chase has taken them inside the reach of the Whomping Willow, who clearly has had enough of everyone's shit and starts attacking them. The dog drags Ron through a hole at the base of the tree, and out of sight while Harry and Hermione struggle to get him. Hermione says they should go for help, but Harry's determined to get to Ron now, fearing that they do not have time to go get help. Then suddenly, Quen Crookshanks touches the magic knot and the branches stop flailing. <laughs> Fun fact, the magic knot was Tara's nickname before <laughs> it was Jacket Potato. Now it's just the name of the daycare she runs on the weekends. It get the get hell lot, out! Doesn't get, it doesn't get a lot of business because <laughs> nobody brings their kids to daycare on the weekends. It's a bad business decision. Where the fuck was I? <laughs> Harry and Hermione follow Crooksy down a long tunnel and find themselves in the Shrieking Shack. They head upstairs to find Quen Crookshanks lying majestically on a four-poster bed with Ron sitting on the floor beside him. As they rush to help Ron, he speaks the magic words. It's a trap. But really, it is a trap. The dog, not a dog. These are weird sentences. But, but really, You're reading them really fast, that's why. But really, it is a trap. The dog, not a dog. Or the grim. It's Sirius Black. Also, he stole Ron's wand. And he uses it to disarm Harry and Hermione. Not good. Ron and Hermione tell Sirius that if he wants to kill Harry, he'll have to kill them too. Super sweet, get BFFs. Like these two, they're the real fucking deal. Anyway, Sirius responds to them by saying super suspicious stuff. Like, they're alone, maybe one murder tonight. Seriously? I mean, seriously. Harry loses his mind and attacks a full-grown wizard who is currently in possession of three wands. Dick joke? Nope. As opposed to zero wands he is holding, he tackles Sirius, punching him repeatedly with one hand. And Sirius defends himself by trying to strangle Harry, only to be attacked by Hermione and Ron. Harry gets his wand back, but by now, Crookshanks is tired of his fancy bed and decides that he'd like to curl up on Sirius's chest now, because cats honestly don't give a fuck if that's comfortable for the human. <laughs> Trust me. Harry points his wand at Crookshanks and Sirius, convinced that this man is responsible for the death of his parents, but then suddenly he is disarmed again by Lupin. Question mark? Lupin and Sirius have a weird conversation about some unnamed person. Then Crookshanks is rudely removed from his comfy spot as Lupin helps Sirius up and gives him a, a big old hug. Aw, wait. This is probably bad, right? <laughs> However, many plot twists is this chapter? Wait. How many plot? How many plot twists that this chick? What? 
That could actually be a mistake. How many plot twists is that this chapter? <laughs> Staying in. Get ready for the next one. Lupin is not only an old friend of Sirius Black, but he's also a fucking werewolf. Oh, and he helped write the Marauder's Map. As Lupin begins to explain things in a much less suspicious and terrifying way than Sirius had started to, he brings up the last crazy-ass plot twist in this chapter. Scab is not a rat. He's Peter Pettigrew. Oh. <laughs> I read it as fast as I could because it's very action-packed, and I wanted to get through it very quickly. I'll remember that next time I read one of yours. Oh. I'll read it as fast as possible because you didn't want to enjoy the, the pacing the that I wrote. I wrote my prose very specifically. My pacing is very I, you intentional. You know, I think we always do that and then the person who reads it is like, nope, I'm doing this <laughs> in my style. Yep. <laughs> Correct. Welcome to Basic Snitches. We've said that at least twice this episode. At least we're reminding people why they're here. For Basic Snitches. Yeah. <laughs> So at the beginning of the chapter, Crookshanks has just been executed. Not Crookshanks. Try again. <laughs> In case you missed it, Crookshanks was executed. I know it's a shock to everybody. At the beginning of this chapter, Buckbeak was executed and Hagrid is howling. Yes. And we are far away from discussing the movie at this point. However, I think it's important to note that Hagrid is howling because that means that in the book, Crookshanks was actually executed. So the timeline at this point... Can you stop saying Crookshanks is executed? Oh my fucking god. Buckbeak was executed. My, the point I'm trying to make is that in the movie, the timelines are together as one. Because you have like the stone coming through the window, all that other shit that we'll talk about later. In the book, they are not connected at all. So like, it feels like in the present... Things are unchanged until they actually happen, which I think is interesting. We'll talk about it when we get to the yeah, movie. Yeah, there, there's I a think, lot more movie-ishness to talk about. And I think when that. we do our book three wrap-up, we're going to focus a lot on the movie as a whole because it's not as easy to separate it in this book as it has been before. Mm -hmm. um, and, well, we do whatever the fuck we want during our wrap-up. So just uh, wait for it. We do whatever the fuck we want all the time. Always. That's the basic snitches way. This is, to me, the most emotionally driven chapter of the book. Yes, that makes sense. There's um, a lot that happens in this I mean, this there's chapter. some stuff later on in the book that people would argue are as emotionally charged, but this one gets me every time. I have lots of emotions, and it literally starts with the beginning of the chapter. Mm. They know what just happened, and they hear Hagrid howling, and Harry's instinct is to immediately go back to his friend, and Hermione and Ron's instinct is like, we can't do this. Their heart's telling them to do one thing, and their brain and is their telling brain them to is do like, something else. Like, we have to do this. Like, And that's literally how this entire book moves forward, is like head versus heart. I that's think. a really good way to read this. Hagrid is such an important constant in Harry's life. This book and the last book are really rough for Hagrid. He never really has one where he can just like sit back and relax. Right, poor Hagrid. Like, that's, that's very true, our buddy. It's interesting Oof. that you say head versus heart, too, because... What unfolds in the next few chapters after everything that happens at the Shrieking Shack, it's important to then follow your head 100% because of the time travel aspect. So in this moment, because there's that tug and everything, it's mm -hmm. interesting to see that kind of getting ironed <clears throat> out in the next few chapters. There's no time. That's the other thing. And that's the, the cool like parallel with the time traveling in this book and and how quickly everything's moving. There's no time for there to be this sentimentality. Even if Harry and Hermione and Ron could intelligently go back to comfort Hagrid, there's no time because 
Hagger, or I'm sorry, Scabbers is trying to get. Listen, I didn't call Buckbeak Crookshanks. You called Hagrid Scabbers. That's worse. Do Hagrid and Scabbers <laughs> look anything alike? <laughs> Do Buckbeak and Crookshanks? They're both creatures. Okay. They both walk on four legs. They're both Quens. They're both Quens. Hagrid and Scabbers aren't both Quens. The only thing similar between the two of them is that they're hairy. But Hagrid is way more hairy than Scabbers because Scabbers is a bald bitch right now. So anyway. Yeah, let's get back to it. Scabbers is the reason why everything keeps moving because Ron's like trying to keep him and then... A good thing about Scabbers for once. I mean, from the literary perspective. Right. I mean, yes, he's progressing the story Mm -hmm. forward. Then, you know, we see why, because Crookshanks is there. And I love that Hermione is like... Get the fuck away. Like, Hermione is like, I just got Ron back as a friend. Please don't ruin this for me, cat. She's so aware of what that is. You don't know in this point what the whole purpose of Scabbers is. Hermione has literally had to go through every emotion just just in the beginning of this chapter like devastation from knowing that Buckbeak was dead to bringing herself back to being like no we have to fucking get back to the castle because that's what we do and then being like ah shit Crookshanks is gonna fuck up my relationship with Ron again like we're on the second page of this chapter this poor girl I just feel bad for her then what propels us into the next scene is fear and survival the amount of combat that happens here is surprising to me this is where the big black dog also known as the grim also known as actually serious black which we find out in this chapter so right serious black comes out he first kind of like pounces on harry i think to get through him to then get to ron there's that kind of imagery of the dog hitting him in the chest and the the teeth and everything then he goes after Ron. Meanwhile, the Whomping Willow comes around and hits Harry straight in the face. The wiping of blood out of the eyes. I'm like, Madame Pomfrey needs an assistant. She does. That I think that is the lesson of this. There's many lessons in this chapter. because we're, <laughs> we're at the culmination of the book. But that particular imagery like really hit me hard. And then on top of that, Sirius is dragging Ron by his arm. Ron hooks his foot on a root and then there's a crack oh when his God. leg is broken. This poor kid. He got Skelligro in his future. So luckily we know already that it's not as serious that it actually is. Right. But, but but in the moment though, like people say that that's like one of the most painful things to break. Yeah. Is your leg. I can imagine. And when you're a 13 year old kid is being attacked by this big black dog that came out of nowhere, you know, you were aware of and in the presence of the beheading of a creature you know, you're hearing Hagrid, who's your friend, howling. Your best friend was just attacked by this dog first. And like, poor Ron. So in one of the last episodes, you said something about people saying that this book is darker than the first two. And I always think of Chamber of Secrets being much more dark than this book. But in this particular chapter, this is where you see a lot more of it. Mm-hmm. Because in the beginning, the whole like aftermath of the beheading of Buckbeak is a lot more poignant. And then all of this shit that is happening. And it's not necessarily the elements that happen, per se, but I think it's the realism of them. What happens in the second book is very, very dark. And everything that happens in the Chamber of Secrets is very, very traumatizing. But there's still that element of fantasy. All this other stuff is a little bit more realistic. I mean, it's not a hippogriff being beheaded, but... Something like that whole situation and the whole appeal process and then the execution of a living thing, that is all very realistic. So I think that is what really hit me 
is what you said about the last chapter. Obviously, the time turner is the wrench in this kind of idea, but I think if you were to remove the magic from this book, you could have a very deep storyline that follows pretty much identically to how it is now. Identity confusion and, you know, people not knowing the truth about what really happened and revenge and all that kind of thing. And out of all of the books in the series, this is the one where you could do that with. Right. Something else that I said about this book at the beginning is that we get the, and I'm doing air quotes, vacation from Voldemort. But this is where he starts to come up a little bit more. And we've talked a little bit about how he's already present in this book. But despite that, there's still this dark underbelly of all of this. I think because it being realistic, like you said, is why. I basically repeated some of what you that's said. A, no, that's okay. I, I feel like if there were some kind of like, and if you watch the movie, there is some kind of like instrumental accompaniment to this part of the book, like as you're reading it, it would just be speeding up and getting more ominous and more ominous as you go through the end of the book. Like it just keeps moving. I love the point where Harry and Hermione are like, do we get help? Do we just go? Hermione's right. They shouldn't have to deal with this. Honestly, this would have been a moment where I'd be like, yes, please, let's let Dumbledore see us but they might not have time to do that. And Harry is like, let's fucking go. We gotta figure this out. And he doesn't care that the Whomping Will is in the way. He's like, we're, we will figure it out. We'll get in there, we'll get in there. And then Crookshanks is like, I got this bitch, don't worry. Yes, I okay. love Crookshanks. So this brings up the next point to me, because he presses the button on the like knobby, the knobby button. What was, what was your nickname? Not I, not real. I like the knobby button too. The whatever Stick you're- Stick to me being a potato, please. I see, I don't know. Nobby Button now sounds more like a bar than a daycare place to me. The Nobby Button. But it's a lesbian bar, obviously. Anyways, so us gays <laughs> don't like Nobby Buttons, if you know what I mean. So that whole like mechanism, and we get more into that too in the next chapter, when the purpose of the Whomping Willow right, and right, right. why it's able to be paused. But the fact that Crookshanks is the one who knows how to press it, and what we talked about in the last chapter, and that little like rendezvous of Sirius and Crookshanks outside the window, this serves as more and more reasoning for Sirius and Crookshanks to be friends. And you touched on it in the best way possible in your thing about Crookshanks curling up on his chest. So there's, of course, all of that, which we'll unbox shortly. In the last chapter, where I was kind of trying to think, okay, why is Scabbers kind of like freaking out? This serves as the evidence to show that in the meantime, in the background, once Scabbers went missing, there must have been some sort of rendezvous because Crookshanks serves as the connection piece between Sirius and Scabbers. I think this is the moment, already kind of knowing what's about to unfold, where I was like, that is why. I think that is why Scabbers is freaking out. I can almost imagine Sirius passing information on to Crookshanks, mm -hmm. and then Crookshanks being like, okay, I'm gonna go get that bitch, and returning, and trying to find him, and then that maybe even being the reason why Scabbers decides to escape. Well, I think that that's actually something that Sirius says when they're walking out of the Whomping Willow. Oh, interesting. Well, hey. But, but we haven't alert. gotten to that part <laughs> of the book. So after they're done talking about how Crookshanks knows how to, you know, touch the knot and all that, they go up into the Shrieking Shack. Mm-hmm. And because Hermione knows everything. <laughs> And they see Ron just chilling on the floor and Crooks is yeah. on his bed. Yeah, when, when you put that in your thing, too, I was like, 
oh my god, look at Crookshanks in the lap of luxury and the humans on the floor. Typical cat. Right. Being like, this is my bed, ho. Also, very rude, serious, especially because you turn out to not be a terrible human, to not, like, put the injured child that you injured on the bed. Yes. Just leave him on the floor. Fucking rude. There's a lot to unpack. Also, he steals Ron's wand. Fucking That's true. Rude. That's true. Poor Ron. Oh, by the way, in case you didn't catch that, the dog with Siri is black. Yes. Nobody saw that coming. Yeah, um, we didn't talk about it at all this, this season. book. Nope. Also, all of you are like newcomers to the Oh series. yeah, that's plot twist number new. one of this chapter. Yes, okay. There's more coming. So we have like four major plot twists in this chapter. And I would say that this is one of the less twisty ones. We're not shocked as much as we could be because literally the book has built to this point yeah yeah exactly like i think that there are so many other references to the grim or the big black dog mm-hmm. throughout this book mm-hmm. same with lupin like lupin to me is almost not as big of a plot twist because there's so many more clues i think it's a different type of plot twist because because there's two plot twists with lupin the first which i think is a bigger plot twist and i think you agree too is that Lupin is friends with Black. Yes. And, like, you would think, oh my god, the kids are saved. But he disarms Harry, and he's like, hey, what up? Let's have a hug, friend. Then you're like, wait, what? Yeah. You Because you've just had two shitty defense against the Dark Arts professors. He's been amazing this whole book. You were, like, rooting for this guy, and then you're like, oh, shit, he's friends with the bad guy. And then Hermione is like, also, he's a werewolf. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. And oh, for fuck's sake, but we maybe knew that by this point, we maybe didn't if we weren't like watching for it but when you hear Hermione go it's like a fucking course he is also I want to point out Hermione says something like I've been protecting you that's not the word she uses but it's something similar to that I didn't tell anyone I've been covering up covering up for you there it is which part of me is like she knew but she wasn't telling anybody it's not like she was actively covering up I guess no one else did the essay Hermione because people don't like to do work they don't have to do exactly so nobody there was no one else to cover it up to (laughs) so but like Snape been news. Love you, Hermione. You be you. Yeah. You're adorable. Yeah. Something else in terms of like these through lines and like what leads us to the plot twist and all the different clues and stuff mm-hmm. that get us there. So I've been thinking a lot about the Grim. So obviously from the very beginning we've seen like the shadowy figure, the Grim with trying and everything. Y'all know that I can't go an episode without mentioning that bitch. I also talked a lot about in the last episode about how she's the real deal, but she does it in a very kooky way, and she has this ego and stuff. So when I'm reading tarot, sometimes a card will come up and it'll represent not the person that I'm reading, but someone else that is crucial to the situation. So I'm almost wondering if the Grim represented Buckbeak's death, or perhaps even Sirius's death, like being executed after all of this should things not go the way that they do. Of course, the time turner, I think, plays into that. And I'm also maybe interested into looking in the connection to the time turner and divination as well. Like, if those things kind of work against one another. Just a thought there. Like, I almost want to support Trelawney in this moment because I think there's something to that. Even though y'all know that I have some problems with her too. Just just kind of an interesting thought that not I have Not everyone there. could be perfect. Except for me. Except for Adam. That's right. Hello. Speaking of little clues and stuff too that I wanted to mention is the chair is kind of gnarled and Mm -hmm. stuff. And that is also maybe like the last little clue that we get to Lupin being a werewolf. Before Um, he talks about it in the next chapter. The whole chapter is him talking. Exactly. (laughs) Also, like, because we haven't gotten any clues up to what the Shrieking Shack is yet either. And like this is, like you said, all the pieces kind of fall here. Next chapter. It's very good. So Lupin has come in now and like the fuck is going on or whatever and 
and everyone is just very, very high strong. Harry's getting more, well, and Ron and Hermione, but you know, Harry's getting more about this background between Lupin and Sirius, and because like Lupin mentions about how he saw his father disappear under the invisibility cloak. At the end of this chapter, he's the only one you know has written the Marauders map. That's he does right. not mention the other three. The Marauders map is what puts Peter out in the open again. There's so much information here. This is the beginning of Lupin starting to make it make sense. I don't feel like you can trust Lupin yet. Trust I think at this point you can't. And that, that actually gets into another point here that you touched on in your, your thing as oh. well. I do want to get into like how unnatural some of these conversations are. They're talking about a person. They're just like, is he here? And like, Who are you talking yes, about? Yes, but not even that, but like the big line, which is like, only one person will be murdered today. Yes, it's so dramatic. Sirius is a drama queen. They're all drama queens because they're all like leaving these three kids out to dry. They still are thinking this one thing. Like, why can't you just be like, hey guys, it's me Sirius. I'm not the bad guy. That rat is actually a person. Get to the point. They could have taken a point from the movie but at this point, but the movie happened after it. So for real though, Trelawney should bust in and be like, hey guys. Hurried up. I gave a prediction about tonight. That's right. We all got places to be. <laughs> it's not serious. I know that too because I'm a seer, but I'm not actually going to tell you that because I also like to be very dramatic. <laughs> like, why can't any of the professors be straightforward in this fucking school except for Maga? Maga is the Well, I would say her and Flitwick Sprout. Yes, exactly. Other than them, everyone likes to talk in these big sweeping things. There's One person so will be murdered <laughs> today. And like Sirius is like voguing as he's like going across the floor of the Shrieking Shack. Like just get to the point. No wonder these kids are so confused. Lupin comes in, he's like, I'm gonna take your wand, Harry. Harry's like, um, excuse me, I thought you was a good guy. I've had two shitty Defense Considerators professors and you're the good one now, right? No? Okay, you're gonna hug the guy who tried to kill my family. Awesome. So that happens. So, and then they start talking about this person. They're like, is he here? Where is he? Blah, blah, blah. And these kids are like, who the fuck are you talking about? Because I'm, I'm sure they're assuming he's talking about Harry, but maybe he's not. Because I'm right here, bitch. I'm right here. <laughs> and then as the chapter ends, you know, and Lupin actually starts to not be terrifying. And he's like, all right, going to explain some things now. He's like, I saw this and I watched this on the Marauders map. And there were four of you who left Hagrid's hut. And then there were two of you that were dragged under the Whomping Willow by Sirius. And the kids are like, are you a professor? You know how to, don't know how to count? What do the hell? We don't do math here. It's arithmancy, but. <laughs> right? Like, it's very confusing. And then, of course, you get the final, and I think the biggest plot twist of the chapter. That rat, you've been chasing around. He's a greasy hoe. He's a greasy hoe named Peter Pettigrew. That's right. I love that they bring that back in because when we talked about the movie a few chapters ago, we talked about how it was so cool that Harry was able to see it on the map. But they bring it back in at this point. <laughs> While it's really fun in that portion of the movie, yeah. I feel like this is a little bit more in character for both of them. For Lupin to like open up the Marauder's map and be like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen this in forever. And be like, who dat? But. One more thing that I want to say on the book. There is this little passage at the bottom of page 342. Essentially what it's about is like when Crookshanks curls up on Sirius's chest, which is something I talked about earlier in the mm-hmm. like friendship that they formed and that there's clearly this bond. 
Which also, I really think, supports your theory that you talked about at the beginning of the book. Which, I know I've mentioned before, but ever since then, I, like, really latched on to that. And I'm seeing more and more evidence towards it. I don't think any evidence so far that is against it. So, I love it. There's this little passage where Harry is basically like, so what if I have to kill this cat too? And this is one Mm -hmm. rare moment where he is so driven towards what he thinks is the actual truth. It almost makes me think back to like the piece of Voldemort in his head. So perhaps this is another one of those things for areas where Voldemort is present or something like that, where he doesn't even care about this cat. He is so eager to kill Sirius Black. It might not necessarily even be that piece. It could even be his ambition and the like brave Gryffindorness and well, <laughs> ambition is more of a Slytherin thing, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there's kind of a blend of things there where I'm like the real Harry doesn't want to kill this cat it's Hermione's cat etc he's just so driven towards his goal this was a thing that I thought of I wasn't really thinking so much about Crookshanks because I think it's written in the book that Crookshanks is just kind of there and Harry's like whatever this cat because I think it's more about the idea of Harry thinking he's capable of killing another human being had Lupin not come in and disarmed him what would Harry have done he doesn't know spells that will kill people that's true he doesn't have the capability but it's also like you said he's like so focused on that because he's so hurt by this bringing up Crookshanks is just like another layer to that of being like this is a kid who would not kill a cat that cat is in his way. Is that like Black killing all those muggles? I was going to say the exact to, same thing. You know, to, yeah. to get to Peter. Is that kind of parallel or whatever? Or is it really just a child being so overwhelmed by his emotions? I love that you like to look at this as like, well, it's part of Voldemort's soul. I like looking at clues. It's, clues yes, is it's the theme clues. of this episode. We love clues. But that's right. I just... I think that that's really part of being human. I don't necessarily think that it's one way or the other. I think it's just interesting to remember that Harry is a person who goes through all his emotions too. Yeah. We all do things like when we're like pushed to the brim that are extreme and we often regret later. And it is interesting to kind of think like what would Harry have actually done in this moment? The other thing that is very interesting is thinking of this moment and then what happens in like the next few books in Expelliarmus really being kind of his back pocket spell. Right. We actually talked about it in the last book too, during like the dueling club and stuff. But that's when he learns it. Yeah. Like, that's very interesting in this moment too. And when you find out like the true nature of Sirius too, this is why Crookshanks is Gwen. And it shows that there's so much more to Crookshanks as well. So to me, this is the first half of, well, the first like two thirds, because the next chapter is shorter, of the most important part of this book. And really probably the most important part of the first half of the series. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially if we're cutting the fourth book in half, because there's a lot of crazy shit that happens there. Yes. There's so much like very important information and very like sought after information that you learn at this point. And just wait, because next chapter, whew. That's right. But for this chapter, fuck Mary Kill be... Here you go. So guess what, guys? We have like six chapters left and I'm phoning it in. Buck Mary Kill, Cat, Rat, and Dog. <laughs> Which is the name of the chapter if you've been <laughs> sleeping through this. I know this is very relaxing to listen to the two of our shrieking dulcet tones. Cat, Rat, and Dog, Buck Mary Kill. I really feel like you know how this is gonna go. I mean, probably the same. Okay, well we're gonna kill the rat. Good. Die. We're gonna fuck the dog and marry the cat. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. This is a long chapter. We've been actually been very concise. Right now, in real life, we're at about 45 minutes. So I was like, let me make this easy. Cat, rat, and dog. Kill the rat, 
fuck the dog, marry the cat. Which I also feel like is pretty like true life for our real personalities, basically. So, talking about the movie. First part of the book that is not in the movie is the whole Hagrid howling thing, which I did want to mention. I already talk about it and how like it is different in terms of like how the timelines are connected that we're about to see. I already talked about that at the very beginning of this episode. If you missed it because you were sleeping through this episode again, I have concerns of why you're losing this podcast to fall asleep. The next part with all of like the action and stuff. While Tara and I were watching the movie in person this time, we did bring up Tara's really good explanation of it being a slingshot, of it being pulled back and then just going forward. And it's interesting because it takes certain moments to like pause a little bit. And I think it is in favor of the movie. For example, you don't get as much of the like bloodiness, like the tree doesn't hit him in the face. Ron's leg doesn't get broken, thank God. But after Sirius takes Ron under the tree, and there's no Crookshanks, there's no little, like, knobby bush or whatever your nickname was. Um, There's none of that. But they have this fight with the Whomping Willow, and there's this moment where Hermione is in the willow, and it's, like, spinning around, and it looks like a roller coaster, and then she grabs onto his shirt, and we counted it. It's three seconds where he looks down and looks back up, and it's such a cartoony moment. I actually don't think I really like it, but it's interesting that decision was made. I think the Whomping Willow looks fucking great in the movie, too. I hate it in this movie. And yeah. it's so weird because everything else in this movie looks so cool, and it's more advanced, and I know it's a different director and all of that and whatever. Except I for the hate... screaming Harry scene in the snow. Yeah, that's we weird. Talked about but that. we already talked about that one. But like, I I don't know if it's just like an attempt to be like entertaining or what. Like, it's almost funny. It's... Truly, yeah. And it's not because of the direness of the moment. Ron was just dragged into the abyss under this tree. And you're yeah. like, cool, someone is missing. But they're busy like flying around and getting hit in the face. Then they're thrown in. It's like that tree like purposefully was well, like, we here you go. Crookshanks in. I was like, you have Crookshanks in the movie. You have a Quen to Give do your job. Give me the fucking cat. Yeah. Crookshanks that, is Oh my great. God. That is like Tara's tagline. Give <laughs> me the fucking cat. <laughs> but also like there are other like moments in the scene where as we were watching it, like at this point, I'm just critiquing the movie. Sirius is dragging Ron across the grass underneath the tree and Harry's like come back come back like come on first of all like that's not gonna help and then he is like crawling on his stomach like army style after him I'm like that is not the fastest way also to he's almost to the base of the tree how does he not just get in there like how does the fucking thing it's it's because he stands back up because Hermione's screaming it's just the scene is a mess it is Ugh. also I want to speaking of like things that are a mess at this point I want to take a moment to talk about Harry's shirt the same because, one he wears all the time. Yes. In the past movies, during like this dire need, it's that blue shirt with the dark blue collar. And it's always a fucking mess. Last book, it was drenched in blood. He got some really good like laundry services at Hogwarts. I mean, of course they do. If they can grow back your bones, you know they can get rid of any stain. So fuck you, Tide, to go. All that shit. It's probably even Pomfrey. Pomfrey's like, I got this. She can do everything. Yes, she can. The shirt that he's using is like perfectly clean, no stains. And then from this whole thing, once they're in the Shrieking Shack, there's this giant stain on it. And it's like, Pomfrey going to help your ass out again. 
Pomfrey always comes to your rescue. Should I give points to Pomfrey, like, after the fact, just <laughs> like, for this assuming that she does this? I should. I think I should. Wait, we're just assuming. So if anyone has any knowledge about who does the laundry at Hogwarts and it's not Pomfrey, it's probably the house elves. Probably. But, but we're going to give it to Pomfrey now because she's going to help in some way. Because we haven't gotten the whole house elves side Yeah, we will plot. find out till next book. That's anyway. right. Anyway, so I just wanted to call out that shirt. No, I think that that's kind of funny to think about. This just moves so quickly. We don't get really any information. You still get sinister, serious, and lupin. Dramatic. Being dramatic like, yeah. and shit. But you get like one line from each of them and then... Snape comes in. Yeah. Spoiler, Snape comes in in a couple chapters, but we're going to miss all yeah. the extra shit. We don't even really get to Peter Pettigrew yet. Lupin in this moment is so much more sinister than the book. <clears throat> like, there is a, s- a specific point. He comes in and he's just like... I can't remember what he says, but he's like, oh, you're the brightest witch yeah, I've ever seen of your Yeah, the way he says that about Hermione. The first thing you see him do is come in and disarm Harry. Yeah. Obviously, like, I just read it, but, like, seeing it, if you're watching this movie, you're, like, immediately, like, oh, fuck. I feel like when you're reading the book, you're like, wait, what? The movie just moves so quickly. Yeah. Like, Lupin doesn't get a chance to explain himself at all. At all. He doesn't mention the Marauder's Map. You don't get any of that. You don't get anything. This is basically the most ridiculous cut from the books. It's very, very important stuff, too. Like, for the entire series. And actually, spoiler alert for the next book, because not a lot of it is in the movie either, you miss a lot of that, too. Snape technically doesn't come in until the end of the next chapter. And he comes in now, you know? Yeah. I do want to comment on... Just like the setup of the room and how this action works and how it looks in the movie. I think that it's well done. I think all the actors are splendid. Hermione Um, is like top of her game. I think Emma Watson is wonderful in this movie. There's this point in this scene where she and Harry are standing together after Lupin comes in. And she is like ready to go. She doesn't know what's coming. Like, you can read all of that on her face. She doesn't care. She's going to go whatever she can do to, like, save whoever, whatever she can. Like, bitch just does not say a word in this moment. I'm just literally look at her face and I'm like, yes, you're so good. I think that the movie did us a disservice of not giving us the information that we need. Yeah, it's a shame. There is so much good stuff here that this is where they should have taken a little bit more time. And added Crookshanks back. And added Crookshanks. I think Crookshanks is important here. I think he is too. I almost want to go back and rewatch the movie which we might be doing for a wrap up in a few episodes but I'd like to like look at it and be like hey they could have shaved off some stuff here you know they're already shaving off a ton we don't get all the Quidditch <clears throat> stuff this is very very important to the whole series so plus 30 to Lupin because good thing he opened the Marauder's Map and saw Peter Pettigrew's no name no fucking kidding because if not then even Snape wouldn't have come because Snape is trailing after Lupin and everything. In the book, obviously, he does kind of like have that distinct moment where he's like, they deserve to know. Let me give a little bit more explanation that leads us into the next chapter. Originally, I was going to give 25 points to Sirius, but I'm taking five off for breaking rounds. Like... (laughs) Because that's collateral damage. That Wait for next chapter where I go on a huge rant about this. Go yeah. on. <laughs> but like the fact that like we get to see Sirius and stuff, I mean, Sirius doesn't really do anything great. 
right now, but like it's like it's serious, and Sirius is still a really beloved character of the series that we don't get for a long time. So I'm gonna give him points when I can. That's fine. So essentially, that's twenty points to Sirius plus thirty to Crookshanks. We've talked a lot about Crookshanks in this episode and how he's integral and important. The movie removing him is a travesty in my opinion, and I really do feel like he's like the special agent between Sirius and Peter Pettigrew that kind of like culminates in this moment at the end. Also plus 10 to Hagrid for his howling because he's going through a lot of grief. I'm also giving plus 10 to Ron for his broken leg. I'm gonna give plus five to Pomfrey because of what we just talked about as well because she's doing the laundry and I'm not taking any points away this episode. I know that's crazy. That might be the first time I've done that. I could have taken away from the Whomping Willow. I could have taken away from Peter Pettigrew. Patience. He exists. We've got several chapters to go, so don't you worry. It's coming. But all in all, like, the main players of this entire chapter, even though there's a lot of drama and action between them, they're all good guys. And, like, I know that, so I'm going to give my points the way I see fit. I like it. So no points taken away from anybody, which makes it even more interesting to see who your loser is going to be for the next chapter. Oh, I have a loser. I'm don't sure worry. you do, baby. Speaking of next this time we're gonna be reading chapter 18. Moody Padfoot Prongs in the other beach. Moody Wormtail Padfoot and Prongs. But what you called it was fine. And that other beach. I knew I was gonna get it wrong. I'm just glad that I forgot Wormtail. Wormtail was my nickname in college because that's exactly what my dick looks like. Very long and very, very skinny. And it tapers off at the <laughs> Terry. Was- can't- Terry, I just called you Terry. Terry. Oh, I did it again. Tara looked really shocked like she hasn't seen it before. (laughs) She's not even denying that she's never seen my dick. The look on your face as you said that. I'm just kidding. It's actually like a tuna can. Very, very short, but thick as fuck. So we'll talk to you guys next time. But before that, we're still looking for sponsors. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, later, snitches. snitches!